0: Welcome back to the show. Today we are speaking with Aaron Mashbitz and Aaron and I have a very deep, honest, real, heartfelt conversation that is so incredibly important. And it stirs up a lot of emotions, even as I finish this call and conversation. And I cannot wait to share this episode with you. Aaron is a coach and an entrepreneur. He is a former division one baseball player and pro wrestler. Mental health is the core of everything that he does. Aaron traveled the world wrestling and now hosts a podcast called something for everybody and owns and operates a mental health nonprofit called you are loved Aaron's story, how he began as a pro wrestler, which involved a lot of performing in life and in the online space. That's where it all started. And then when Aaron's sister Rachel died by suicide in 2018, followed by the pandemic, Aaron decided to go all in and follow his purpose to bring conversation and awareness to the topics of suicide, mental health, and offering support for many demographics, including mental health for professional wrestlers. We dive into a lot of topics on this episode, including how our identity is who we are at the core, a repeated beingness, which I love how he shared that, and how we can all do better when it comes to the conversations of mental health, how to support other people who are living and experiencing this in their close-knit circles. Aaron references a book, Tiny Habits, and the reason I think it's so powerful to share this is he talks about how we can set goals so small in our life that we can't fail. We can do better. We can all do better. And it starts by having conversations like this about mental health. And I am beyond grateful to share this conversation with you. And if you can do me a favor and share this with someone who needs to hear this message today, I and Aaron would be forever grateful. Welcome to the show today, Aaron. How are you?
1: Uh, doing excellent. Um, I just went to the dentist. So, uh, <laughs> my teeth, uh, they said are good. So I'm fired up about that. And I'm, I'm pumped to have this conversation with you. So. <laughs>
0: okay. I love this. Talk about icebreaker. Absolutely love this. So here's a small world. If you have listened to this podcast before, you've actually probably heard me mention Donovan because Donovan has somebody that I interviewed almost two years ago now. And somebody who I've crossed paths with him multiple times and he has connected me to so many different people. And so I actually, I think what happened was I heard Donovan's episode on your show and we started having a conversation. And I realized like how powerful your story was that I knew that I wanted to be able to have you on the show.
1: Yeah. It's just like the beautiful sort of connection of storytelling and of being vulnerable and uh and reaching out to people like on a whim and shooting your shot and saying, Hey, I think we I think we will gel. Like I think we we have a connection. And that's what happens when people put really cool stuff on the internet. Um and are like, here you go. This is my life. This is my purpose. This is what I love and I feel good doing it. So yeah, kudos to Donovan. I feel like I said that like last week when I was on another one of his friends' podcasts. So What a guy. What a legend.
0: He is. His ears must be buzzing. I can't even tell you how many people we have crossed paths with because of him. So again, I'm just, I'm thrilled and I'm grateful to have you here. We're going to dive into you and your story, but you are definitely a mental health advocate. Mm. This is something that you speak and talk about and I think is incredibly important at all times. But I just, I feel like even more so now, this is something we just need to continue having a conversation on.
1: Yeah. I mean, mental health for me, it's now become like probably the most important thing. Just the way I the way I define it, the way I look at it, um, and how I see mental health is it's how you think, feel, and act, right? So it encompasses your every single day. And when I got into this work about four years ago, and that's really where the story started. Um, it I, I just didn't seem that way. Anytime I heard mental health or it was like, it always became attached with like, that person's probably really sad, or that person's depressed, or they're crazy. And those they might be sad, and they might be depressed. That's part of the mental health spectrum. That's part of being a fully expressed human. Mm -hmm. But that's not those things just don't go hand in hand, like right away. And so over the four years that I've been trying to do this work and learn as much as I can, I've seen it change, I've seen mental health grow into something that people just like, talk about it's like a regular thing it is because it's your brain it's your body it's all interconnected it's how you think feel and act it's how you make choices in the world it's how you say yes and no to things sure it encompasses a bunch of other stuff like your values and your purpose and things of that nature but it all starts with sort of this umbrella term of mental health and now you can get sort of have branches from that top layer of what's mental wellness okay it's probably like the tools you use every day to be mentally well Or physically well, because they go hand in hand. Like what are mental health conditions? Those are more of your like severe anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, things of that nature. And so there has to be different words we use to describe different things because the words we use are very, very important, especially when it comes to our mental health. And so if we can get a grasp on this definition, now you can have whatever definition you'd like, but it sort of has to come with this idea that everybody has mental health. If you only view mental health as like this like this like, like this sort of small population, then you're like excluding a bunch of people and you're sort of minimizing the idea of how powerful it can be because you think feel and act, everyone listening think feels and acts so oh, so that's why I like to think about it. That's sort of how I've learned to think about it and it helps me sort of understand people better because okay, yes, me and you, Marsha, we haven't experienced the exact same life but we've definitely experienced the same emotions. Like having a podcast can be overwhelming at times. You know how that feels. I know how that feels. Like feeling deep sadness or grief. Like I know how that feels. You know how that feels from different experiences, but there's where the common humanity lies. And there's where the thread that we can pull on to connect one another are. And so if we can think about mental health in that way, I think it brings us together.
0: Yeah. Well, this is a incredible start. Honestly, that I just, everything you just said, I just, it hit me because I think what you're saying, it just resonates so deeply with me because I believe, you know, that we're all, we're so much more connected than Mm -hmm. we think we are. And we don't have to walk the same story as somebody else to be connected to them, but we are connected by emotions and experiences and feelings and lessons and things that we've learned. And so I love how you're saying this because a lot of people want to take mental health with one paintbrush. That's yeah. like, that's mental health. And, and it's so, there's so many different pieces and parts to it that we can't just do that. And I think the other thing that gets, hmm, I'm going to say, the other thing that gets, mistaken or left out of this is the fact that I still think in a lot of ways, this is a family disease. This is something I don't want to call disease. This is a family issue because Mm -hmm. it affects and impacts so many people. It's not as simple to say it's like one paintbrush and that that's the only way we can look at it. And I think we're missing a lot of it when we do it that way.
1: Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent, right? Because also when people think about mental health, they only think psychological, Mm -hmm. like it's just what's happening in your brain. And that's like very far from the truth, right? As you said, your family impacts how you think, feel, and act, your environment, your culture, how people treat you, like caregiver, all that stuff. Those aren't psychological things. Those are things happening in your real world, Mm -hmm. deeply impacting how you view yourself and how you view the world. And that also relates on our physical health and how much we feel like we're allowed to take care of ourselves. Like if I've been told my whole life that i'm not shit and i'll never be shit then why would i decide to prioritize or be proactive about my mental health i'm already not shit doesn't fucking matter excuse my language right yeah but that is not a psychological issue that is someone programming us to believe those things and now all situations are different i think ultimately caregivers and parents do the absolute best they can some of those things just happen and it's a it's a downstream effect and it compounds but so now we have this person who just doesn't like themselves, like deeply has a deep hatred for themselves. And it's not their fault. <laughs> like this just happened to be the situation they were put into. Now, how can we express that in a way where it makes sense to them, where they decide like, okay, now if I I can take little steps for the next two to three years, and maybe I won't have a deep disdain for myself, maybe I'll sort of appreciate one little part. And that's a huge step forward. And so that again, that's, that's not coming from a psychological disease impairment thing. That's like someone is externally putting these thoughts into your brain. And now you believe that because that person is someone you love or care for or look up to or mentor or guide. And then we have to work to sort of reverse those things. And it's cool. Mm, that's not the right word. It's, well, I don't have another word, but I'll use it. Cool to see a transition in our society where people want to talk about it. But it's not it's not really enough to talk about it. There has to be actionable items there have to be tools there has to be resources available um, kids have to see people that they look up to having these actions and their words line up with these things there have to be these things taught in school that are some self-regulation mental skills emotional control resiliency all of these things so yes it's great that we're talking about it and that's obviously a first step to anything is is people being aware that there's a thing that needs to be addressed but it has to move into action it always has to move into action and so that's why a podcast is great. But it it goes deeper if the person actually listens, it resonates with them and they're like, okay, I don't want to, I can't change my whole life from listening to 60 minutes of someone talk, but I can change one thing. And that one thing is incredible and incredibly powerful to do. You know, whatever that one thing might be, it might be addressing a relationship or figuring out how to appreciate something about your life or yourself or starting a journaling practice or moving your body more regularly. Um, whatever the case may be, all of these things matter and none of them are small. Um, but we have to sort of look at it like that. Like everything, everything has an impact on everything. And I know that seems very daunting. Like, oh my God, it's very overwhelming. But if you, you can break it down into much smaller, smaller, very small, minuscule parts. There's a great book that talks about, um, creating habits that are too small to fail. And I just like the way I like, I like that look of that. Um, and I can relate it to a, like an exercise routine or a meditation practice. Let's say I want to start a meditation practice and my goal where I've seen on TikTok and Instagram and everyone's like, you got to meditate six days a week for 60 minutes every day. Like, whoa, that's like a, that's like a ton if I've never meditated before. Mm-hmm. And so now I decide to do it and I hit day one, I hit day two, but I miss day three and I'm like, uh, I'm done with that. Now the meditation practice goes out the window. What if I decided to make the habit too small to fail? So I was like, hmm, what if I take one deep breath three days a week? Okay. That's super manageable. Mm-hmm. And maybe if you tell people that, they're like, dude, that's kind of embarrassing. Why is it embarrassing? This is my starting point. This is me. This is who I am. And I'm trying to better myself. Right. So if people think it's embarrassing, mm, let it go. Do you focus on the thing you can control, which is yourself. And so okay. And now I feel like I'm gonna take a deep breath.
0: I just did when you said that. <laughs> it's like you know? I love it's just such a simple reminder, but it's so good to just like in that moment of being able to keep it so simple. What what was the name of the book? Did you mention it or no?
1: Um I want to say it's called Tiny Habits.
0: Tiny Habits. I, yep, I know exactly which book you're talking about. I was wondering if that's what it was. Um I actually interviewed a, a meditation teacher last week and it was such a such an incredible conversation. He mentioned how there's this bandwagon that if you're not doing an hour there's no point. Right. And if you can't make time for one hour, then you need to be doing two hours. And I said to him, what do you think of that? He goes, it's absolutely ridiculous. We've got to build in habits that he didn't say it in that way. But as you're saying that are, are so, they're too small to fail. He goes, you can change your body, actually your body's chemistry in two to three minutes by literally breathing. And so I love that you're saying this and these pieces that we're talking about, how important it is. Um, You've been doing this work for four years. How did you decide to go into doing this work?
1: Yeah, that's a that's the question. That's the big question. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. Um, before I got into this work, I was a full time professional wrestler uh, under the name Jackson Stone. So, in professional wrestling, I mean like WWE style wrestling. So very entertainment type. That's why I had a pretend name named Jackson Stone. Um, up until very recently, my podcast was named Jackson Talks Everybody. I've transitioned away from that. Um, uh, now my real name is everywhere, um, which is very cool. We can talk about that as well, which I, I love to. But so I say that to say, like, my life was filled with, um, performance. That's what I was. I was an entertainer. I was a performer. Um, and Jackson Stone was a pretend movie star because I used the moniker Lights, Camera, Jackson, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyways, so um I was posting, everything I posted on social media was performative, was curated content. Like I was barely making any money. I was barely getting by. I was trying to be an independent professional wrestler. I was living in Philadelphia, but everything I posted made it seem like I was like on top of the world because I was a performer. Um, we see that a lot now with social media and how bad it can be for your identity and all of these things. And I can touch on that also. But so that was like sort of my life. Basically, I want to put some context into that. Um And that was that was my le- I mean, I dreamed of being a professional wrestler since I was 13. It was going to be major league baseball player or professional wrestler. And I've been had the I'm the luckiest man in the world. I've been able to pursue both dreams. So I I just I don't know how I got so blessed. But, you know, here we are. Um And so there I'm in 2018 um, living with my really close friend, Weather Yuda, who now wrestles on national television which is unbelievable because in 2018 we were barely getting by talking about our dreams and our goals. And it's like, makes me want to cry um, to, to see him where he's at living his dream. Um, and me as well in the dream I never knew was possible. So then I get a phone call um, in 2018 on a, just, you know, another random day. Um, and I got a call that my, my sister, my big sister, her name was Rachel um, had ended, ended her own life. And, My sister, Rachel, um, she was an incredible person. Um, She battled deeply with some very, very severe mental health conditions for a very long time. Upwards of 11 years, she had severe depression. She had bipolar disorder. And by the tail end of her life, she was was battling with some schizophrenia as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And through all that, she graduated college uh, as an engineer. She worked at Raytheon. Um she was my biggest supporter. She built my first couple websites. She filmed my very first professional wrestling matches. She was just a uh, yeah, she was we're we're our family is Jewish and she was very involved in the Jewish community and she was the one that sort of pushed me to go to events and meet people and express my religion and be part of a community and I was always like mm, I don't want to do that. I'm busy. It's not that cool. And now all the lessons she tried to teach me I'm like sort of learning and understanding and mm-hmm. Um, you know, I used to, I have a nonprofit, it's called you are loved. It's based off her, but when she was alive and I was in high school, I used to say, I hate everyone. And it's a very weird thing to say. I just didn't want to let people in. I didn't want to get to know people. Um, and so I just used that as a cover. So I didn't have very many friends in high school. She was my friend. Um, and just, she was such an open person and loving, giving, kind person. Um, and so all of those things she tried to teach me when she was alive, sadly, I missed them. But now, you know, when something like that happens in your life, you, you reevaluate everything. You reevaluate what's important, what's not important. What do I actually want to do? Um, and so my, my heart was torn in professional wrestling because I just, I felt like I couldn't, I, I just like, I was like feeling I was getting like ripped apart inside having to perform on social media and started posting about mental health. And then had to go to shows and be the villain and, like, do all these things. Like, and just, like, was, like, uh, I feel like I had to throw up every time. And it was, like, yeah. I
0: can't imagine it was felt just, like, inside. Like, that yeah. must have been such a like, a, like, a tearing apart. You've got two identities that are trying to fight to stay alive. And you're also trying to grieve and right. go through the process of losing your sister. So, like, that, thank you for sharing that. Because that must have been... A very difficult time
1: yeah and and for the first couple months because on one end i i needed professional wrestling um because my sister died at a very uh, on september 3rd of 2018 and i had a professional wrestling match booked for the end of the month mm-hmm. and this was like a big match for me something i'd really worked hard for and it was against my roommate we either you who i said uh, earlier who's someone i love deeply he's the first person i shared this information with so we just had a, we just have a bond that's like, I, I don't know, you just can't explain something yep. like that. And like, and also it's like, you think about the person who receives that information for the first time and like, what are they meant to do with that? That's like so heavy. What are they meant to say? And he was just, he was just there, man. Like we didn't have any magic words, but he was, he was there. And we had this match scheduled for the end of the month. And I was like, I don't want to, I don't know if I want to do it. I But I thought about it and he, we talked about it. It's like, it got me to the gym every day. It got me to the gym every day. I got to do something. I had something to work for, to, to look forward to, to like literally stay alive for. Um, And then after having that match, I, I wanted to fight this thing inside of me with pro wrestling. Like I have to keep doing this because this is the only thing that's keeping me going. But it's also the one thing that's like tearing me up inside and not making me feel like a real person that I express my grief or my sadness or talk about this stuff online because I wanted to, because I had a decent following through pro wrestling. It didn't matter if I had a following or not. I was going to share it. And so it took me a while to figure it out. But eventually, I sort of dropped everything about my character and just was going by Jackson Stone. But everyone knew my story. I started sharing videos online. That's when sort of You Are Love blossomed uh, into like a t-shirt and short videos and all of this stuff. And then I started learning everything I could about about mental health, about why it was important and um, started figuring out my grief and started coming to terms with really some really challenging emotions that happen for suicide loss survivors. Um, So, yeah.
0: Thank you for sharing all of that. I know that this topic, this conversation is going to hit a lot of people because when I think of taboo topics, which is what a lot of topics that we talk about on the show, unfortunately suicide is, is, is up there and we recently went through only the last few weeks, um, losing a friend who did die by suicide. And I, it has been a whirlwind of emotions of trying to, you know, what do we do? How do we, how do we process this? How do we share? And my, I have a second podcast and we decided to do a, podcast sharing, talking about her specifically. Her name was Amber and also sharing about suicide and how can we open some dialogue and conversation about it. I, I'm i still blown away by the response we're getting back, but it's also opening up the doors of people saying, I don't know how to process this. I'm feeling anger. I'm feeling frustration. I feeling like I failed. I feel like You know, and then that's not even bringing in the comments from other people. And that's a hard thing to process. So I just wanted to share that because is there anything that comes to mind that you can share that might support some of the listeners in like what some of those early stages were like for you?
1: Well, I feel like my situation was a bit different than most people who die by suicide. Because we knew my sister was struggling.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and there was suicide attempts. There was hospitalizations. There was all sorts of things. And we were doing the best that we could. My parents were doing the best they could. She was on medication. She was seeing a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and she was, she happened to be living with them at the time and they go on a trip for, for Labor Day. I think that's September, right? Yeah. Um, and, um, that's when she decided to do it. And so for, for me the hardest emotion that I had to come to terms with was a sense of relief. Yeah. I did not want to say out loud that I was somewhat relieved that my sister was not alive anymore. So because how how could I think that like relieved? Like I feel relieved after I had a long day of work and I lay in my bed with my girlfriend. That's like relief. That's like how 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 am I supposed to come to grips with this emotion? Like, but there, but then you, I'm in a support group. I've been in a support group for a long time with suicide loss survivors, and that's how I work through these things. I heard someone else say it, who was like six or seven years in their journey, and I was like a year into my journey at this point. And like, I, I felt a sense of relief, and it took me a long time to talk about that. And I had to, I had to really sit with that for for a while because um, there wasn't. There's some bit of anger. But not a ton of anger. Yeah. Um, I had a really good relationship with my sister, so I don't feel like we left anything unsaid. So that's like, I, I don't know how else. That's like, that's, that's amazing. There's some guilt there, right? I could have visited her more. I could have done this more, right? There's a little bit of shame, shame about my current life. Like, why am I so happy now when she was so miserable? Like, how am I allowed to do that? So that one comes up a lot, but the relief one is like, well, now I don't have to like, sit every day of my life, 24 seven and worry about this person when I'm living across the country, trying to chase a dream. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, is my sister okay? Like what's happening? You know? And so that was tough. And so I say to anyone who is a suicide loss survivor or dealing with anything suicide related, you have to just, you have to face it head on. I know it sounds like that's like, like duh, but it's really fucking hard but you have to make that choice to just to do it and to hear other people who are doing the same thing that you've done. And like I'm four years in and like a week ago I was driving to my baseball game to coach my kids and I just started crying and it wasn't like a sad cry. I was like, like, wow, this is like, like, I feel like this is my life and this is cool. And like, I feel like my sister is proud and she's like guiding me in this direction. Her favorite artist was Mandy Moore for some reason uh, mm-hmm. and so anytime that just pops on i'm like this is a good it's gonna be a good day you know and yeah. so you just got to come to terms with that and and be and be okay feeling like shit sometimes um and feeling like this thing oh like random things are just gonna remind you of that person and it's at, at first it'll be like oh, this is awful i feel sad i can't just express this stuff i gotta be like i gotta be tough no it's like be Like be, yes, there's a certain time and place. Like maybe you're at work or you're in a big meeting or things like that. Yes. Of course, time and place for everything. But when you have a moment to yourself, you have to, you have to come to grips with the really tough emotions. If you had a conversation with that person that was left unsaid, you have to deal with that. Like it's, you can't change it now, but you can change how you view it and how you perceive it and how you view yourself going forward. You can move forward with this and change the relationships you currently have. If that one wasn't the best, or you didn't do the best you could, or they said something to you at the tail end that makes you hate them, right? All of these things. Like, and then how do you view your relationships in your current life? That's what changed for me the most. Like, how do I tell the people that I love every single day that I love them? Like at a nauseatingly lot level, like where they're sort of annoyed about it. Like, but it's true because like the last time could be the last time.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And like, that's, that might be a sobering thing, but it is the truth. And instead of that, allowing that, allowing that fact to sort of, um, like like keep you down and shy you away from going for it. Like you got to step into the arena and know that every relationship you have is going to end at some point, whether through death or heartbreak, but it's all worth it when you have it, it's all worth it. And that's the only way to live. I think, um, is to just lean in and go for it and be awkward, brave, and kind as our friend Brene Brown would say. Um, so
0: (laughs) that's what I learned. So. Oh, thank you for sharing all of that. That really, there was a lot of things that you said there that hit me in so many ways. And I feel like, like you have so much conviction in your voice and your message and what you're sharing. And I have no doubt you're being guided. I've no doubt you're being like, she is just there with you. And I, I think that again, these are tough conversations to have. I think it's incredibly important. And, I love seeing more men having these conversations. I do, I really do, because I think that, you know, in this case, it's, for example, like as I looked around the room, you could see some of the men really in a space of like trying to process, trying to, and I'm thinking, God, I just, please don't do it alone. Please don't do it alone, because it's a lot to process when you're losing someone anyways. And when you said relief, that hit me personally, because this has been something that has, um, hit us close to home on a number of occasions. And there is a sense of relief when you watch somebody who's literally been battling for, for years. Mm -hmm. And I, I often think, you know, it's easy. Judgment's the easiest thing to do, but we have no idea what someone's walking through every single day. We have no idea. Like from the outside, it's like, okay, you're struggling with mental health, go to your appointments and take your medication. But we don't know what their battles are and what they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And I think that's a piece of humanity that's really important for us to be able to at least step in and recognize that we don't know what their battles are and how can we be a source of support and also just you know, recognize that sometimes choices are outside of our control.
1: Yeah, like that, that just, um, it goes into something that I've been thinking about a lot. I actually recorded a full episode about it and I spoke about it with Donovan, but I think it's important to talk about here is the, the misconception and the the big time myth that suicide is selfish.
0: Oh, I, it's one of my questions I have here that I wanted to talk about because that's been the messages I have received is from people feeling that they feel like it's selfish. They don't want to feel that way. Or how do I navigate everyone else's comments saying that's selfish? And I'm like, if you've got somebody coming at you talking about it being selfish at this point, when you're trying to grieve for a friend who's lost, like you need to distant yourself from that person right now. You can't right. fix that. That's not like, that is not worth your time and energy. Yes, we can educate people, but we're in the middle of grieving. Like you don't need to be going and teaching others about what. Um, selfish, how we process it as selfish. A lot of people do. And um, I think it's really unfortunate. So I would love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. It's like, <clears throat> I get why people say it, right? It's mm-hmm. super plausible. It makes sense, right? This person who majority of the time had people that loved them, mm-hmm. um, had a, a good or fine or a life, whatever you want to call it. So why would they Why would they do that, right? Because the wreckage that you leave after suicide is very deep, right? The people that are still alive struggle for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. And so it's a plausible thing. And people like to say that after it happens to sort of try to ease the person who's going through this loss. So it makes that I, I get that part. Like, hey, it's not on you, right? Suicide is a selfish act. Like you don't have to feel guilty at all. It's like the same thing as sort of saying, um, everything happens for a reason, right? It's empty platitudes that that people like are saying out of like kindness, but they're also saying like, I don't know what else to say because this situation is uncomfortable for me. So I'm just going to say these things, these empty platitudes, instead of just walking up to the person, if it's like at the funeral or you're hanging out or you're whatever it is, like just giving them a hug and saying nothing, saying I'm here. Like that's powerful. It's like 10, 10 times more powerful than someone saying everything happens for a reason. Oh, so you're going to fucking tell me, that my sister just ended her life for a reason two days later. Like, get out of here, dude. Yeah. Um, like, so we have to think about our words, right? And the same thing about suicide. People are saying that to try to ease your pain, but the pain cannot be eased by simple words. No. And so it takes time, energy, effort, and attention and a long period to to handle our grief, to handle something this unpredictable and traumatic. And so I just say that off the top. Let's be more intentional with our words mm-hmm. because we have the education and the understanding to do so, and we're just lazy if we don't. <clears throat> because mental health affects everyone. Don't think that it's not going to affect you or doesn't currently affect you, right? Do some work. It's going to pay off. And so now, so I say that like suicide is selfish. That's a plausible, logical thing. A cool initially thought. But what people don't think about is that they've never experienced, which is fortunate for them, which is great, that they've never experienced the deep, dark despair that this person is consumed by. Yeah. Okay? They, this person is literally deteriorating from the inside out while pretending to be okay and not letting it show to anyone. Even if you have a psychiatrist or a therapist or medication, yes, you go to that person, you do your routine. But on the inside, you're still feeling like absolute garbage. And there's a consumption of darkness that comes over you that when people use that "suicide is selfish phrase, do not understand. And again, very fortunate that you don't understand that darkness. Beautiful. Keep it that way. Be a light. But be a light in this way. So you're um, informed about what's really happening when someone reaches this point where they feel like the world is better off without them. And normally when people get to this point, they don't want to actually die per se. They just want this pain to not be this way. They, they have no other options. They're doing everything they possibly can. Or this is a very young person and they've went through the first experience in their life. That's really hard and they don't know how to, how to handle it right? That's also important why we need to teach young kids this thing, because one experience cannot be the end of their life. It has to be the start of how they learn how to handle their life. And so now this person feels like they have no way out. They have absolutely no way out. And they're, again, consumed by this dark cloud of despair and they're deteriorating. So at this point, they are not thinking about anyone that they love. They're not thinking about the beautiful lunch they had. They're not thinking about a test they have tomorrow. They're not thinking about their mom and dad that might be in the room next door. They're not thinking about their boyfriend they just got off the call with. They're not thinking about the dog that might be sitting down next to them. They're not thinking about any of those things. Those things are not even close to their mind. They're only thinking about this fucking sucks. And how do I make this thing stop? And so for you to sit there and claim that their act is selfish is inaccurate. It's false. And it's a lazy take. And I don't appreciate it because people um, who've died by suicide deserve much more respect than you're giving them. And if you never get to that point in your life where you're consumed by that darkness, again, wonderful. That's beautiful. And I I'm very happy for you. Um, but you have to, you have to change the way you look at it. You have to change the way you look at it because potentially someone in your life might be feeling that way and they might make a call in that moment saying, how can you help me? And you're like, dude, just snap out of it. You'll be fine.
0: Hmm? Mm-hmm.
1: Snap out of it, cool. So Mabel's gonna come and she's gonna snap out of it, right? It's fine. Like if, if that was the case, then we wouldn't need therapists. We wouldn't need these conversations. We wouldn't need people checking on, in on each other. We wouldn't need like the intense education that our young people need about this conversation because people are dying it's not that it's just like affecting people. They're sad. They don't want to work. They're dying. They're dying and they're dying by their own hands. And we have to, we have to do something about it. And it starts with taking a personal responsibility for it because suicide prevention is everyone's responsibility because everyone has people in their life that they talk to. And we have to have intentional conversations about these things and direct conversations about these things. And you can't just throw out these random words that make people feel way worse than they already do about their situation. And so
0: Oh, I love what you just said there. I mean, oh my gosh, like you are just, you're bringing so much intention and fire to this topic. And I love it. I am so grateful to have you here at this time. Um, there's so many things that you're saying there. Yes, it's everyone's responsibility. There's so much that we can contribute and support each other. And when one of the questions I was going to ask was about this comment of being selfish or how can we do better and I think that you hit something there that, you know, if you don't know what to say, like I, I recognize sometimes it's really awkward. You don't know what to say. How do you go up to a parent who's just lost their child and say, you know, I'm sorry. Everyone's saying, I'm sorry. But when you recognize that if you don't know what to say, sometimes a hug can speak volumes. Like just don't, family. don't say things that and, uh, this has just been really, it's hit personal. I've had so many different conversations over the last two weeks with people saying, I don't know what to do with people saying that I was selfish or I didn't do enough. Or if you knew this person was struggling, why would you not reach out more? And I'm like, honestly, you got to put some boundaries up right now because you are grieving and you are allowed to grieve and you're allowed to feel all these things. So if you're listening to this, please know that you don't have to know exactly everything to say. And I, you can be so much more powerful and supportive by saying less. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a company that I speak for called Active Minds and they have a statement. It says, you don't have to be an expert to help. You just have to be there. And it's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. Right. Um, and people might be thinking right now, like, okay, if, if this person's at this point and they're in this dark place, how, do we do anything about that? Well, the point is that we have to be more proactive about it so people don't reach this point. Mm-hmm. Because we can do a better job about it. We can do a better job in the weeks, months, years leading up to potentially where they get to this point. And now, I think like my sister, some people just have a serious mental health condition, an illness, cancer, and it just, their their life, whatever. I, I haven't fully really understood all of that yet, but I think that might have a play into it. But if we're talking about one moment, an experience, a situation, um, things like that, where people just sort of make this permanent decision based on some temporary factors, then the conversations leading up, the way we treat people, how proactive we are, the skills we've learned, the conversations we've had, all of these things matter. Um, And then maybe right before the point they get to that place where they are consumed by it, they reach out or... They send a text message, or they go for a walk, or they uh, they do a few jumping jacks, whatever to get their just body moving, going out of their own head, or they go take their dog for a walk, something, right? There has to be something. And so we can do things about it. So I don't want to make it seem like there's no way out. There is a way out. We just have to come to terms with the worst part of it first, where it ultimately is, and how we can backtrack from there and be a proactive society, not a reactive mental health crisis society.
0: Wow. I honestly, the whole conversation is blowing me away. And I'm so grateful that again, you're here having this conversation. So as you started to create change and shift from performer into, no, I think this is actually the work that I meant to do. Mm -hmm. What did that transition look like? And what do you do now to continue to um, share and support this story and message on mental health the the transition was
1: like it was difficult in a a way because i started posting about mental health started posting about my sister and my feelings and at the time right i was a full-time professional wrestler and in that business you're supposed to be a tough macho
0: yeah
1: you know beat up type and i was a villain right so i had to beat up people like you know pretend right whatever um uh And so I got a bunch of messages from people that I was working for promoters saying um, they call me Jackson because I don't know if they knew my real name. So Jackson, we just we can't have you posted about this stuff. You just you don't look tough and our fans aren't going to buy into you anymore. Okay, fair enough. Um, Like for some reason, I just knew that, okay, that's like I don't want to work for those people anymore. Um, And I was like very sure about my wrestling ability. Like I turned down a job with WWE because I didn't want them controlling my life. So I, I was, I've always been this person who wants to be like, have autonomy and control over what I say and how I say it and who I do it with. Um, and so I was like, fine, I like, don't have to work for those. But that was an interesting thing because I had never dealt with that in a sense, because I'd always been in sports my whole life. So I was always viewed as like a macho, tough, like I'm, I'm a big guy. I'm six 220 pounds. So people viewed me in that manner. And I've never, and that was the first time I encountered someone saying that I would be weak for talking about these things. And so I, I, I had to think about that a lot. And then I started seeing more about it. And you know, you see a lot about it in today's society. I'm very interested in young boys and masculinity and how we can grow and develop that trait, um, into strong males, strong male role models, all of those things. And then we could touch on that in a bit after, but, um, and so yeah, that, that sort of period there was very hard. And then I just transitioned into myself again, using my fake name um but really where it all started to alter was i moved back to dallas where i'm originally from and i live now currently um full-time professional wrestler and covid hits okay so you can't really wrestle in front of no fans no so uh in an instant i had no job mm-hmm. and like, it's weird when people say like, why didn't you have a backup? Like, what do I mean? This is my life. I I was fully involved in professional wrestling. Am I supposed to have seven different streams of income? Yeah, I had some merchandise income. Yeah, I had like, a I was starting my podcast at that time. So I had some other things rolling, but like, what do you mean? This is my life. Like, Sorry, <laughs> like it's I'm funny not laughing. Like, I'm
0: just, people blow me away. It's hilarious. I yeah. yeah.
1: I heard the same thing with people who work like like really hard nine to fives. People lost their job and couldn't pay their bills. People like, well, why didn't you have a second job? Why didn't you have a backup plan? Oh, you knew the whole world was going to get shut down. Mm, my fault. I didn't know. Didn't know you're the Oracle. <laughs> I was like, you know,
0: sorry. But, I, was, I was in your boat in a sense. My job is gone. 28 years gone, didn't come back. And really? it was like, okay. Um, I'm turning 50 and I guess I'm just going to figure it out because it's gone. And it was like, and again, so many people like it's, you, you couldn't have predicted that. There's no way it was just gone. Right. Yeah.
1: So yeah, so I am, I I didn't really know what to do, but I knew in the back of my mind that I wanted to do all of the things that I was sort of doing on the side. Mm -hmm. Like I had you are loved. I had my podcast. I had speaking engagements and I had coaching. I was like, I know I want to go into these full throttle. I I just don't know when. Okay. So lost my job as a pro wrestler because you can't wrestle in front of no fans. I took a job at Walmart just to make sure I could feed myself and pay for my mortgage Mm -hmm. and. Driving, I had to drive 45 minutes to and from work every day and I worked a 10 hour shift. And so in that moment for three straight months, I thought, I thought about exactly where I wanted to take my life and exactly how I want to make it work. And then after that, I made, I made you are loved, uh, an official nonprofit. Um, I went deep on my podcast trying to, I was altering it. This is kind of funny. And initially my podcast was, um, like a spinoff of my wrestling character, So say I had you on my podcast, Mm Marsha, the the podcast would be me asking you questions about me so you could talk about me the whole time.
0: (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I I understand what you're saying. And it's just like, it's what a change when you look at yourself, you must almost not recognize that person because I'm listening to you and connected to you right now. And I'm like, I can't even see you as that person. Um, so yeah.
1: Hilarious. Yeah. It was like, uh, initially I was like, oh, that's pretty good idea. And it was like fun for a couple episodes. And then I was like, I just want to have conversations with my friends, like real ones. Mm -hmm. Um, and so figuring out how to do that. Okay. I'm going to do a real conversation. I'm gonna talk about mental health. I'm talking about personal development. I'm going to share people's stories. Um, I'm going to try to make you our love something important. I want to do work in professional wrestling for the mental health of professional wrestlers because the identity crisis is extremely, extremely challenging in professional wrestling. Um, and what I went through trying to talk about it. And then I started doing coaching and then I wanted to do speaking engagements because I love being in front of a peep, in front of people, in front of a crowd because that's what wrestling was. I love that. So I want to do that with speaking. And so that's, that's where, that's where my life is now. Um, that's sort of what I do. It is what I do, um, day to day. And, uh, I never expected my life to be here. I thought I would still be wrestling and wearing my sparkly underwear and traveling around the world. But here I am with a, with a microphone, you know, talking about podcasting and mental health and all of these beautiful things that have actively changed my life for, for good, but mostly, you know, uh, in a more purpose driven way. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing all that because, um, I mean, I'm grateful. Again, I'm just grateful because we need more and more people speaking and sharing. And when it affects us personally, it's, I feel like we're being guided to speak about it if we feel called to, because we've lived it. I don't think that, like, I I really think that, especially in this time of online coaching and all these things that are out there, like there are times I look at it and think, if you haven't lived it or walked it, it's you should not be in that area. Like you need to be... You've lived it. You've experienced it. You have so much that you can offer and support others. So I love that you're doing it. And I want to take that conversation because one of my questions was going to be mental health and professional wrestling, mental health and boys and any, anything that you want to share or the experience there, because all I could think was exactly what you said with professional wrestling. It's like being a persona. It's not, it's not real. And so then it can get to be really hard to figure out, wait, what am I feeling? Is that me? Is that because I'm trying to be someone else? Is that actually me? Like, what am I going through?
1: Right. Yeah. It's it's very similar to social media, just in a very, very amplified way. Mm-hmm. And so most of the time with professional wrestlers, the reason you get into professional wrestling is because you love it. And it's what you dreamed about doing since you were like three And for some reason, professional wrestling and being a fan of professional wrestling is like deemed like a weird thing. Like in high school, I got made fun of for wearing wrestling shirts. And so people feel like uh, outsiders. And so now they finally get into professional wrestling and they're not an outsider. They're loved. They're adored. They have fans, right? They're getting cheered. They're getting booed. And it's like this feeling of belonging like they've never felt before in their whole life. And so... Then you're doing shows Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and that's who you are. You're turning it on all the way for the fans, the car ride, the promos, the videos. And now on Monday, you got to go to work, and your boss says, hey, uh, Jim, you need to take out the trash. And you're like, I'm not taking out the trash. I'm a freaking world champion. 120 people were just screaming my name yesterday, you know, and we get confused about who we really are. Yeah. Because one, yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah? Because, <laughs> it was
0: good though. It was a great analogy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, Because on one end, we haven't sorted out who we really are before we became a professional wrestler, mm-hmm. right? We didn't have an identity before that. Um, and I, And I define identity as like repeated beingness. So who are you being? How are you showing up? Not what job you have. Yeah. And so we didn't figure that out. We didn't figure out what our core values are. We didn't figure out our mission statement, our personal philosophy, what our actual purpose was. And then we got into wrestling and then we let that just take over our whole body. And now I'm a professional wrestler. That's everything about me. I'm foreclosing my identity on everything else. I'm not a son. I'm not a brother. I'm not a friend. I am a professional wrestler. And a lot happens in the sporting field as well, which I saw with myself and uh, with people that I work with. <clears throat> and so that happens in professional wrestling. And then you have the adulation of the fans. You have the love or the hate. And that drive and that adrenaline, and you just want to feel that more often. And then when you have an 18-hour car ride home, you're like, well, this kind of sucks. And then you have the drugs, you have the alcohol, you have the women, you have the, whatever the case may be is whatever you can do to not have to be Aaron, but to always be Jackson Stone. And sometimes, you know, it goes too far, Um, but sometimes we never get it figured out. And then it starts to hurt our performance because then we have anxiety about who we are. Then we have overwhelming depression or we have addiction. We have all of these things that come up a lot in these performance sports or performing arts. We see that a lot with actors as well and actresses. And so what I'm trying to do with You Are Loved in professional wrestling is just offer resources, resources, support structures, um, things that people can go to. We have monthly support groups led by Um, licensed therapists who also are in professional wrestling. So they know both ideas. We have a Facebook community. We do monthly webinars. Um, so just giving a place to, for people to go to feel seen and heard and connected by other people who know what they're dealing with and also to have actionable tools and resources they can use on the road. So instead of resulting to the or resorting to the thing that they used to do, which could have been drugs, alcohol, whatever they have, maybe a set of skills or tools or an app that they can use that allows them to. Sort of get within themselves, find their body, find who they really are and know that these performers. Yes, I am both these people, but I'm really this person. I just turn it on a little extra to do the performance. Um, and so trying to teach people that young people, like 18, 19 year old wrestlers who just like are in love with the business. Um, and I get it. I was, I was there. I was Jackson Stone for a while. Like I didn't change my social media handles until like two months ago and I had been retired for nine months. Because I didn't know who I was. I didn't know if people were going to leave me because of my, because of my real name. I didn't know if people were going to stop listening to my podcast. I didn't know if I didn't know anything, but I, I mean, you know, it's a fear, but we have to get over that stuff. And so teaching people that early on in their career, just giving them a place to go, uh, is super important for me with my work there in professional wrestling.
0: Mm, thank you for sharing that. And now I know why I had a hard time finding you in the beginning because I heard the podcast. Then I went back and looked, and I'm like, we where, where did it go?" And it was because I was getting the names mixed up. So, like, that's fairly recent, like only in very. the last couple months. Wow. Yes. Okay. Yeah, very, um,
1: very, very recent.
0: Wow. Are you surprised by how? And I'm just making an assumption here. How? How many other wrestlers are like, yes, this is actually something that I do need support with. Like, are you, are you, here's the thing you've opened up the door of conversation and now all of a sudden, I think you're starting to normalize some of these conversations, which I think is incredible. How has the response been?
1: Like everyone knows that they need these resources. Um, and people are very receptive to the idea of having them available, but the support groups don't get a lot of, uh, participation because there's no, there's no monetary buy-in. Um, and that's something that I, I've been trying to work through, like, cause I want to make them accessible and available for everyone, which means that they're free. But if they're free, are they really valuable? Okay, how much should I charge? Because most professional wrestlers on the independent scene aren't making millions of dollars. Um, And so I've, I've been sort of working, I've been talking to other therapists that sort of run groups and things like that. And they say they struggle with this thing as well. So like overall, people like love the idea. Like, yes, yeah, it's great. This is awesome. But the next step after that hasn't been, like it's been pretty good, but it hasn't been amazing. And I've been doing these groups for almost almost a year and a half now. And so I'm trying to figure out a way to make those a little bit better. So if anyone in your audience has any tips, that would be awesome. I'm willing to hear those, but.
0: No, if you're listening and there's something that that speaks to you, please reach out and talk to Aaron. And I'm, I thank you for sharing that because that was one of the things I was wondering. I think that when it comes to having these groups, having these conversations, like I, you know, I'm going to equate it to a little bit where they talk about like in social media, if you are actually offering something that you were selling, for example, like two years ago, you'd had to speak about it about six to eight times for people to even like get involved to learn more. I think we're up to about 24, 25 times now that a person has to hear your content and hear what you have and what you offer. Considering only like less than 4% of our following on social media sees our content imagine how many times something has to be repeated before somebody puts their hand up and says, wait, I think I actually want to, like, I want to learn more. Wow. And so when we're talking, I just being a little bit of a geek with numbers for a second that when we're talking about these kinds of conversations and how they're not easy conversations and it's not easy for people to put their hands up and go, yeah, I do need a group and I need some kind of support That. It can take a long time of talking about the same things before people start to feel safe to come into a space and say, yes, like this is definitely something I could use help with. I know that when we first went into our very first group for parents dealing with substance abuse with our kids we were like, it was, I remember having this conversation of going and, you know, my husband at the time was like, I'm going to walk into a room and see like, what do we, how do we do this? And I'm like, it's, we just got to do it. We just have to do it. And we went and I remember walking into like one room in one area of our big city on one night of the week and the room was full. And as soon as we walked in, it was like, oh we're not the only ones and that was the the light switch moment of we're not the only ones and that became it became easier to go back and easier to go in the next room and so i just wanted to share that like what you're doing what you're talking about is it's not an easy topic it's it but again you said it it affects all of us mm-hmm. every single one of us it's not an easy topic it requires a lot of repetition to talk about it And then people to hit the point where they're like, okay, I think I want to get some support with this. And so it's it can be a bit of a long game, but I I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing because it's not as simple as you do this and you see a result. It's like showing up consistently in order to keep those doors open for the people to see that you have something that they can get some support with.
1: It's like... You know, if, if, uh, if you really want to do something, you're willing to put in the the time for a long period of time, you know, like I'm only at 150 episodes with my podcast. You're close to like 600, right? It's like, are you willing to do that? Because are people going to listen in the first hundred episodes, 200? Who knows they might, but they also might not, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so do you love what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and people say, you know, if you love your job, you're never going to work a day in your life. Like I love what I do, but I still work hard. Like it's still effort. It still takes time, but there's a passion for it that allows me to sort of dig through the trenches when things aren't going exactly how I envision them to go. And I'm like, okay, my audio was like, I forgot to plug in my mic on this episode. So my audio is not very good, but that's what it is. I'm learning, I'm learning out loud. I'm failing in public. And that's the same thing with these groups. Like, and I'm, I'm very open with the people who are in the groups. Like I don't know what I'm doing. I just sorted, I'm just like decided to start these groups. That's the first time that's ever happened in a professional wrestling. So we're going to work together on this and we're just going to go with the flow and see how it works. And I'm going to try to bring people in who are experts and who know things that I don't know. And we're going to work on it. And hopefully you guys stick with me and can give me feedback along the way. So and that's really quite cool because people want to hear that, that vulnerableness, because to feel like someone's always ahead of you and always doing better than you, they don't really want to follow that person. They want to follow the person that might be like one step ahead of them, but is still also trying to figure that out. Okay, this person knows a little bit more than me, but they're also... Falling down and getting back up and falling down and getting back up and trying and trying. And so, I mean, those are the best people to follow on social media too, not the ones who come off is Like, I'm perfect. I have all the answers. I'm no. basically God. So if you follow me and listen to my words, you're good.
0: Yeah. Uh, no, thank
1: you. Yeah. Dude, yeah. Okay. So my,
0: not, those are not my people. And, and I love that you said that because again, I just want to let that land for listeners that you're you sometimes you only have to be one or two steps ahead of the people that you're supporting you don't have to have it all figured out and honestly please don't even try and come across as perfect because it's not relatable it's just not
1: yeah and it's also just very hard i as someone who performed as trying to be perfect in the ring it's like very it's very hard and and to post the perfect thing at the right time, with the right caption, with the right picture, with the right thing in the background, posing as this right person, saying, having the right smile. Make sure I'm coming across as a bad guy who's a who's also a good guy, but has a movie split.
0: It's exhausting. Now That's I'm like, not even-
1: now I'm like, if I feel something, I'll just record a video. I just woke up. All right, cool, sounds good. Here it is. Like this is what I feel like is happening, so I'm posting it. Or if I want to talk about something, I record a podcast and I just turn my camera on. Like when I did episode one of my podcast, I didn't have microphones or a camera or someone to, or, or even put the camera. I said, Hey, man, my, was to my girlfriend. Um, Jesse at the time, friend who was a girl. I want to make that clear because I don't want my <laughs> actual girlfriend to get mad. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was like, Hey, could you just hold this? I just like want to, want to talk and like go listen to episode one. It's like tr- atrocious. It's a terrible episode. You can't hear anything. It doesn't make sense. It's like, fine, great, but I'm going to keep that up there forever until I get to the episode that you're on and then like what can i look at episode 150 and be like oh that's decent but like episode 500 is pretty sweet like that's just cool like and that's it the is. same way we can view our mental health yeah like i'm starting at this point like mm-hmm. habits are too small to fail i'm starting at this point i genuinely don't know what to do about my mental health i'm feeling overwhelmed i'm feeling like sick to my stomach my body aches i don't have a lot of energy my sleep isn't good my nutrition sucks okay that's a lot that's your whole life Okay. What's one what's start one thing? You don't need everything to be perfect. You need like one thing. Okay, I'm gonna do one push up three days a week. Okay, great. Nailed that. What's next? All right. I'm gonna make one friend. I'm gonna make one new friend, one real new friend who supports me in this journey. That's all you need. Right? You just start slowly build from there, you know, because we're gonna overestimate what we can do in one year, but we're gonna under underestimate what we can do in five years. Your life can be totally different in five years. Totally different. But one year, things will be a bit different. Yes, if you stick to it, you stay consistent. But in five years, I don't, it's limitless possibilities. It's unbelievable. It's beautiful. But you gotta you gotta be the person who commits to yourself and say, "I'm giving myself my best effort." Um, and then over time, you build this undeniable stack of truth that you are the person you say you are. And then it's like even when you have bad days. You're like, mm, that's fine. I have the stack of proof that says I'm this person who gets up, who does the thing I said that I'm going to do, who shows up for myself, who has deep love and deep work and deep care for people. I have this proof that one bad day doesn't, doesn't diminish all my progress. Absolutely not. Not even two bad days, not even a week because I've done it for so long that I know I'm this person. I know I'm the person that I say I am. And that takes a lot of work. But once you get there, it's unbelievably powerful.
0: I love everything that you just said. Honestly, this conversation, I just, i there are moments I'm sitting here and I'm like, I'm just listening. I'm like, no, wait, Marcia, stay focused. <laughs> I am enthralled by the conversation. And that that quote is one of my favorites that we overestimate what we can do in one year. And we underestimate what we can do in five years, 10 years, yeah. whatever it is. And we don't look at that big picture. And sometimes as humans, myself included, it gets very easy to get caught up in, but I haven't reached where I thought I would be by now. I haven't hit where I thought I would be right now. And I actually just shared a video this morning because I do scripting and I write scripts like every three months as to, it's not goals. I'm not a big fan of the word goals. Mm -hmm. I, I Because it's like intentions. How do I choose to show up and what do I choose to do? Because I can set the goal and it's funny, there was three or four things that were on that list. When I looked at it, I wrote that in December. They're not even important now. Like I looked at it and I was like, oh, I can beat myself up for not hitting them, but I'm actually don't even care about them. But what can I celebrate is the, how have I shown up in the hard times? What have I done consistently? How have I shown up for myself? And I think we miss those little wins for ourselves that can add up. So I love how even bringing it back to what you said in the beginning is tying it to those tiny habits so that you can't fail. Like you literally are just... You stack them and you keep stacking those wins, and eventually that adds up. But I just want to share that. For some reason, I felt called to share that part with you.
1: No, thank you. Yes, amazing.
0: Um, so your podcast, what is it oh, called? Oh, yeah,
1: it's called Something for Everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, reason behind that is that I one of my catchphrases as a professional wrestler was Jackson Stone Everybody. I don't know. I thought it was cool. Uh, and then I called my other my previous name of the podcast was Jackson Talks Everybody. And then I, I created a clothing brand called for everybody. Um, and so everybody's sort of just part of the deal. Um, yeah, a lot of people say that if it's for everybody, that means it's for nobody, but I don't believe that to be true. I think if it's for everybody, there's a little nugget of wisdom that can be in there for anyone. Um so then I transitioned the name to, to something for everybody, maybe 10 episodes ago, potentially maybe a little bit more. Um, yeah, so that's my podcast. Um, I do a couple episodes a week and, uh, Yes, it's pretty cool.
0: Beautiful. I love it. So the best way to connect and send people in your direction, I'll make sure everything is in the show notes, but where is the best place for people to connect, follow you and find your work?
1: Yeah, everything is at AaronMashbits.com. Um You can find links to You Are Love there, which is my nonprofit. You can find a link to my podcast, uh, my newsletter, some coaching, social media handles are, are under the same name. But yeah, that's probably the the the, the one-stop shop.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for everything that you have shared today and so much heart behind everything that you do. And you can see and feel that your sister is a big part of what you're doing. And I thank you for like, you're helping her story to continue to live on, right? Like you're helping, you know, her purpose and her mission. You are really bringing light to these conversations. And I thank you so much for everything that you're doing. And I have one more question for you. All right. it is what lesson in life are you most grateful for mm.
1: I think it's the the preciousness and the fragility of life is the biggest lesson I've learned definitely like I, I never used to think about like death as much as I think about it now like in 2016 my grandpa passed away but that didn't change my life he was old Right. I knew that people died. I knew that people passed on at a time, whatever that may be. But then someone you don't even think about dying, even though I knew my sister was struggling, right? And I knew she had all these things and it could there was that the relief and the thing in the back of my head all the time. And I all even that. Like and then you just and then it happens. And then you never, ever get a touch or feel or be with that person ever again. Mm in like a real, in the physical world. Now I feel like I'm with my sister at certain times. Um But then you, you start to think about the preciousness of life and the fragility and the people that you want to tell your moments to, like, how do you build those relationships, right? How do you build those genuine, honest relationships where when I tell some of my friends, something, something good, they're like, So excited, more excited than anything. If even something good happens to them and I'm the same way about them. And then if I'm not holding up my end of the bargain for our friendship, they call me out on my shit. Like, Aaron, pick it up. Like you're you being accountable friend, you know? And then when I really needed them the most sister's funeral or to put dirt on her grave or like they're there to like literally pick me up off of the ground. Like not a joke. I couldn't walk, couldn't move. Like there was nothing in my body and they're there to pick me up off of the ground those are the people that you need in your life. And that's what I think about the most in terms of a lesson of that's preciousness. Now, if I were to die and this would be my last conversation, I'm good with that. Like, I don't want to, I have so much more that I want to accomplish and do and aim and live and love, but I'm good with how I've ended all of our, how my relationships are with every person that I hold true and dear to my heart because I know how precious they are. Mm-hmm. And I, we, you know, and so, you know, my, mm, yeah. I just, uh,
0: I think there's so much in what you've just said that everyone can take away from, because what a beautiful way to be able to say that like every day I put that intention out there for people to connect, to, you know, let them know I care, let them know how I feel all of these pieces and not taking any of that for granted. And I think it's an absolutely beautiful thing.
1: Yeah, it's fundamentally changed my life um in a uh yeah in a a profound way and it's funny because none of my best friends like i played baseball with them in college and none of them live even near to me not even close Mm -hmm. and so it's effort it takes real effort to maintain relationships to go on trips to plan stuff to work around people's schedule um, all of this stuff and so that's a real it's a real commitment it teaches you what effort can look like over a long period of time Mm -hmm. and um, it's beautiful when you say, and when you look in someone, because I believe in soulmates, but I believe in, in in a different way. You can have multiple soulmates in multiple domains. Um, Like my friends, like there's five of them, six of them. They're my soulmates. You know, my girlfriend now is my soulmate, but it's in different areas of my life. Um, And if you look at a relationship and you can see that person and you're like, I am willing to commit and put an effort for a very long time, no matter how I feel, then you know that person is someone you want to be around. Because you're just saying to them like, Yeah, I may screw up. Like I may say the wrong thing, but I'm, I'm putting in effort and I'm going to keep putting in effort because it means to me. And then you have 60, 70, 80 years down the line. It's like you have an unbelievable list of memories and experiences and moments. And then you finally go to your grave and you're like, fuck yeah. I lived a, I lived a life. I left it all on the table. I understood. I got it. Like I'm my, my best version of me is not. over me looking like dude you left a lot of shit on the table bro no i left it all out there i failed a bunch of times i tried i made mistakes i screwed up but i kept showing up and i kept showing up and I had the best experiences and i loved and i lived and i cared and it's like that's it that's it and so um not to say that you should keep death in in near the back of your mind but it's be something that motivates you in a way that's like like the stoics use it like memento more i think they say like remember death in a way that makes you be present and alive and that this any moment could be the last moment. And so that's the biggest lesson I think I've learned from all of it.
0: Thank you so much for being here today. Honestly, Thanks. you blew me away. I cannot wait to have more conversations.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the space and I, I want to have you on my podcast so I can hear your, all your wisdom. Cause I talked most of the time today. <laughs>
0: Well, you're supposed to, you're supposed to, you're supposed to. And honestly, I just, there's so much nuggets in every single thing that you have shared, honestly. And I just, I'm grateful our paths have crossed.
1: Me too. Me too. Thank you.
0: I appreciate you. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. If you love this episode, I invite you to tag me on social media with your takeaways or share it with a friend. Please, if you feel called, take 30 seconds to leave a five-star review, and I will be forever grateful. Until next time, remember, when you own your choices, you truly own your life.